My name is Kebohem, and this is Epiphany. Amata meiva Kebohem ni alojava akatahengi. Nineteen protocol eighteen sixty-five. True beauty lies in impermanence. Reeds die to create masterpieces, festival baskets, and colored mats. Insect singing today will surely die tomorrow, crushed mercilessly by a woman's slow-moving pestle to extract the deep dyes. Mortality makes you beautiful, Gagedi, whose name means sweet-singing birds and lush meadow flowers, able hands and libation vessels, one word with a fluid essence across time and human language. So flaunt that beauty. Give yourself to the rushing summer streams and the heights of the canyons. Plunge yourself into deep coastal waters and ride reed boats to the edge of space, for such adventures bring meaning to your short life. Such adventures make you remembered. Namgatsi, the Nuomen Wafica, said those words in the middle of impermanence the day after Kakedi awakened in one of Lur's strongholds injured and afraid. Scholars call this part the chrysalis interlude because it bisects the epic. In the first half, Kakedi behaved passively and Lee accepted whatever fate cast into Lur outstretched palms. After the chrysalis interlude, Kakedi learns agency. Lee builds the flying machine, Kakaaban, and quests for the seven hundred sacred things in the high wilds with Jaya'a and her daughter. Jaya'a is the librarian archivist among the Karata. They found a great world there. Kakedi names her Tezakhaira child Kadare on the shores of newly founded moths. I've been so short-sighted. Impermanence never portrays the Nuamwa poorly. Namgetzi is the catalyst for positive change. Lee prepares Kakedi for the dangers and challenges of the second half. Namgetzi, not the Karata, the other Tezakhaira, or the gods, will deliver the final speech at the end of the epic when the humble basket weaver has their epiphany. Kakedi became the beloved of the wind god Hyahito, who delights in the solar wind and the breezes and hurricanes of all atmospheres. My favorite part of the epic is Hyahito's constant, unseen devotion to the woman whom Lee will wed. Kakedi has so many challenges that I cannot even fathom today. No one knows when this story was written. Their village was raided. Kakedi was sold into slavery, forced to work on pirate vessels, and thrown at the front lines in a battle to be a shield for the trained soldiers behind Lim. After Lee escaped, a magician cursed Kakedi when Lee said that a man could not shoot an arrow straight, and Kakedi went on a quest to make amends, but too late as the magician dies before Lee finishes it, is sent to battle again. And then there is this, this beautiful piece at the epic's very center. Life does not happen like that. Kadada exists, but the events in the epic are too fantastical. There must be a truth at their core. I mean, events happen at random. A leader does things that make them afraid to look in the mirror on dark, solitary nights. Everyone wants things that no one would admit to within civilized society because it could damage community. Anetti confessed this morning that Lee once kissed 
and that a yi statue of Ashanta on the cheeks and the forehead in the quiet before anyone had arrived in the temple. Anethi has also tasted the blood of animals on the draining floor of Lur community's slaughterhouse. Lee liked it. The Sabaji do not consume blood because blood is given to the dead and to the god of war. If I wrote an epic about my family, I would write that we exist in the space among many different worlds. My grandfather's Atarahi story sounds so alien to me, and yet I am part Atarahi. Five summers ago, when I went with my father to Yipa for the first time, I felt like any Ixagingya foreigner, and most non-family in Kopsarka told me that I would instantly feel a sense of belonging because I come from the Yipahi too. I mean, I don't know the names of their gods, how to shop in the markets, what to wear to a dinner party. I have no piercings in my face to mark status. I have a better understanding of my grandfather's classical Atarahi movies than I do of my father's Iepahi conversations on vid with my paternal grandparents. If I wrote an epic about my family, it would be about the intersection of the realm of Tzemenok, who rules liminality, with our constant devotion to the gods of discourse and of politics. The divine twins Anumga and Sayimga would receive vivid passages, much like those passages hemming hiato in impermanence. Akara wants me to advocate for immigrants' rights and sees a path forward in that. My paternal genes from my father and grandfather make that an easy path forward. However, I am Ixaginya Dveshi, not an immigrant. I'm more Dveshi than any of them could know. These are thoughts that can never be written on smart paper, even if traditional paper is just as archivally dangerous. My grandmother's Menashi family had gone native at the beginning of the Taritit, when we escaped from the shallows into the canyon dark. The Menashi blood, that Sabaji core, has faded so much. It is the most important in many ways because the Menashi ancestry receives honors in our private ancestor rituals. Everyone had an opportunity to reinvent themselves after the Taritit left. That's why the ten years that followed contained so much violence. I need to let my bitterness towards Liga dissipate to move forward. I am so angry at Lim that I found myself staring into space at the office, my hands trembling with anger. Sukha has texted me to ask what happened. I can't bring myself to say anything other than excuses, withholding the truths of this deep resentment I feel for how Lur father has treated me. This evening, I returned home to find the screensaver on my bedroom's wall replaced with a slideshow of apologies from Liga. I can't turn them off. I did, however, manage to tape over the webcam with heavy-duty packing tape. The video wall won't respond to my commands to switch back to the old photographs. I mean, I'm writing this in the kitchen because I can't bear to see them. I know one thing. I need to take more risks because someone could die. If the government has no information, and if the police do nothing, someone surely will die. If I acquire information, I have no guarantees that anyone will listen. I may be 19, and I may have so little experience in this dark world of intelligence, and it may be true that the police only listen to the Karata and never to Karata Mianesi or the Koginya. But I'm the granddaughter of a war hero. Mohata was not much older than me when Lee saved the worlds. 
With that webcam covered, I removed my guiana. I took paint that I purchased in the market today for 3.75 lahi, the same color as henna but washable, and made designs on my face like a shiji woman just coming out of a temple purification ceremony. The most elaborate designs for women I could find. I put on a bird pattern dress in the shiji style and swept my locked hair into a very traditional bun, complete with a headdress that covered the bottom half of my face with flat discs. I hardly recognized myself standing there because I looked so shiji. I mean, anyone could tell that I had a non-shiji ancestor, but I didn't look like a canyon girl. This young woman in the mirror was a shiji temple-goer, at least upper-middle class, with no knowledge of the canyons at all. I can follow Sehutangi because Zemanok has blessed my ancestors. We've found love and built marriages among people from the high wilds and across the ocean. The Nixupia are the essence of Zemanok's liminality. We are where Saimga, Anumga, and Zemanok meet. We are smoke flowing like water through cracks and tight spaces. This is why Sukha is stronger than me, but it is also why I am the one who moves and changes. Not Lim. You have been listening to Epiphany by KBOM. For a text version, cultural notes, and to subscribe via RSS, please visit http colon slash slash kayeboesme.com slash epiphany.